Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals uh, I am doing well. As I said, I'm really looking forward to this. I came across you. I was listening to a podcast and I saw you on it. That's what it was. I can't remember the lady's name, but you were talking uh, about pleasure and orgasms. I was like, oh, we have to talk about this. I'm <laughs> like, glad you reached out. I'm <laughs> always happy to talk about it. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot to say, you know. <laughs> yeah, there is. It's something that isn't really talked about and none of us are taught about like ever no one is taught about this not during their formative years when they're learning about sex in general and there's a lot of explicit and implicit shaming around exploring it yourself that i think a lot of us have to overcome and it comes in all different forms no one's is exactly the same but no Part of part of what I do now is help people reprogram that and experience all that their body has capacity to experience. There's definitely a lot of capacity to experience there. Absolutely. So how did you start into this adventure, let's say, and uh, that became central to what you do? Yeah. So I think that for me, as far as how I got into making this my work, you mean, or yeah. how did I find it your out? work? Yeah. So I've been curious about sex and pleasure for much of my life. And I was raised in the Southeast, which I wasn't raised in a very uh, repressed household, but the culture of the area where I was raised was very, very, um, Christian, everybody went to church. It was not a very progressive place sexually, um, socially. So that was my, the context of my upbringing. And then as an adult, I discovered studying Tantra and sacred sexuality, and then later BDSM. And during the pandemic at the early stage of the pandemic, I decided to put together all that I'd learned about pleasure as it relates to women and humans with vulvas and offer it as a two to three hour masterclass. And it was attended around the world, got incredible feedback. People absolutely loved it. And I recognized that, oh my gosh, there's, there's a need for this and I'm not ready to do it. So I took some time off and I, I worked on other businesses and then it just became this thing that it's just been coming through and trying to come through for so long that there came a point that I could either step into it fully and really do it in earnest, or I could, you know, shut it down and pretend it wasn't there and dishonor myself and the work I'm meant to do in the world. So for the past year and a half, I've really been on the trail of doing this work and being committed to this work and being open in this work. And I keep, finding opportunities and people and connections that nudge me on and remind me, keep going, keep going. And so I am, and I think I'm going to be doing this for a really long time. 
I don't think there's any end in sight, especially with this topic. It's uh, almost evergreen, you know? It is evergreen. And it's something that I think there is a shift uh, happening culturally and on a grander scale that people are tuning in more to their bodies, into their pleasure, and recognizing that it's not just a physical experience, that it has ripple effects that carry out into your life and into the world. One of the things that I think is so amazing about sex that isn't really talked about is how healing it can be. A lot of our deepest wounds are created in the context of relationships and sex, and a lot of deep wounds can also be profoundly healed in those why do you think now, I mean, is it that, that people are diving deeper into being open and talking about sexuality? I mean, in, in my podcast, I've talked to so many people who are in variety, different aspects of the, let's say, sex industry or sex positive based things. Why is it now feel like this is a, a kind of a tipping point time you feel? Well, I can obviously only share from my experience. Mm -hmm. And if you ask someone else, they're going to identify a different catalyst. But I started noticing the shift happening really during the pandemic. There were so many people who were using that as an opportunity to look inward and to work on themselves, not only in this context, but in so many others. And it was when I myself looked inward and realized this is the time to bring this work through that's been trying to come through. So I think it was from what, from my perspective, a combination of being forced into stillness as a collective. And for those who decided to use the time as an investment, I think a lot of us started exploring our relationship with our bodies, our relationship with our internal world how we relate to other people because we were forced to in a lot of situations being in quarantine with people or navigating long distance relationships during a lockdown we were really forced into examining relationships and going inward most definitely yeah that's been a common thing i've heard when i've asked different people uh, this but let's transition into uh let's talk about orgasms right we got to talk about it what are the misconceptions you hear about orgasms from men and women, the people you work with? Yeah. So most of my work as it relates to orgasm is with cisgender women. Apart from this work, I'm also a voice therapist and expression coach exclusively for transgender women. But my lived experience is as a cisgender woman. It's what I No, it's what I've explored. It's what I teach. So when it comes to orgasms and the breadth of possibilities that are available to people with vulvas, I teach from my own experience first and foremost. So um, I think that a lot of misconceptions I see and hear are that, you know, an orgasm is one thing, first of all, that's one myth. Another is that I actually did a reel on this recently. There was a really prominent relational teacher who had a reel she did about sex and how men could get more sex by women having fewer orgasms. And it beautifully illustrated a lot of myths that I think continue to be perpetuated, unfortunately, still by some leaders in the field. So um, common misconception that an orgasm is one thing, that it's harder for women to orgasm than it is for people with penises 
that women or people with vulvas want sex less than do people with penises that um, if uh, I'm going to use the term woman, recognizing that anyone with a vulva can have this experience, but if a woman has an orgasm, that's lucky. Anything more than that is like a cherry on the cake. And what's missed in all of this, there are obviously tons of others, is that a woman's orgasmic capacity is truly limitless. Like it can go on and on and on. There are so many different kinds of orgasms. There are extended orgasms that can be had in a multitude of ways. There are squirting orgasms. There are cervical orgasms. There are breath orgasms. There are 10, 15 minute long orgasms. There are so many different kinds. And what I teach is really how to open your body to being receptive of so many different kinds of pleasure that you, my clients may discover new ways of orgasming that I have never even heard of. There's just no limit to what our bodies can experience. And the misconception that there is or that an orgasm fits into one box is I think really misguided and misses the opportunity of what's beyond it. Yeah. And then, again, I think it's driven by when you're growing up, this discussion about sex, especially orgasms, this is not happening amongst not. familial units. Mm -mm. And you have people who are raising other people who are, have maybe shame or lack of education, all the above. And then they don't feel equipped to talk about it with their, you know, offspring related to yeah, it. Yes. So what's the appropriate kind of time coming of age time to really start discussing this and having frank discussions? So I am not a parenting educator. I am a mother. I have a seven and a half year old son and I can share what I have chosen to do and offer that as an option to anyone listening. In our family, it started with, first of all, naming body parts anatomically, just very foundational and eliminating any implied shame that there's something wrong with calling your penis a penis. Right. There's something you don't like, this is an elbow, <laughs> right? This is a shoulder. <laughs> This is a vulva and just giving it a name like you, I, like you would any other part of your body. And then from there, when my son does come to me with questions about, he hasn't asked explicitly where babies come from, but like he knows how he was born. <laughs> right. Asked. So answering questions, honestly, and in a way that's age appropriate and doesn't sugarcoat the words or the process because if you sugarcoat something or you change the name of something, what you're communicating is we don't talk about that. So yeah, taking steps definitely. to eliminate, uh, and most people, I don't think they don't do that for that reason. Yeah. A lot of people were raised being told that their genitals were called a name other than their anatomical name. And it wasn't with the intention of instilling shame in these children. Right. But it subconsciously teaches a child, there's something wrong with, with that part of your body. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I think sex is such an interesting topic because it's, it's, it's something that is so central to the lives of most humans, but it's something that's also central to not talking about in the lives of most people. It's just weird dichotomy, you know, it is. but you know, and then we're really seeing, 
what is happening with that is I just read this great article by Jessica Klein, um, and it was talking about how millennials are having less sex than ever and all these sexless marriages. Like it used to be therapists would see people in their 50s and 60s that would start experiencing this. But now it's in like the 30s and late 20s for this. Wow. It's just interesting how sex is actually becoming less frequent in society. But then we're talking about it more. Yeah. Well, I think and certainly there are sexless relationships and sexless sexless marriages. Um, I think I remember seeing that article. I haven't read it in its entirety, but I know the one that you're referring to or one that yeah. covered it. Um, I think that it's really hilariously ironic that all of us are a product of an orgasm. That's how we <laughs> it's true. It's how we are alive and <laughs> we don't talk about it. <laughs> We're all product of orgasms. We're all product <laughs> of an orgasm. At least one. At least somebody. Yeah. At least somebody. Somebody had one. Hopefully two. <laughs> Hopefully two, but one person definitely had one an orgasm. At least. Yeah. All of us got our start as an orgasm. Yeah. And we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about pleasure. We don't talk about sexual energy, which is really life force energy. It's what creates everything from babies to businesses. Um, but it's it's not talked about. It's just it's pushed to the back. Yeah. And pleasure. I mean, think about pleasure like there's there's different ways to achieve pleasure and different forms yeah. of pleasure. And then if it's not in a box of a certain type of pleasure, we say, you know, that's that's not wrong or that's too extreme or something with that. Right. You know, it's it's strange, yeah. it's, but it's it's very like you stay in this lane, but there's different ways to have pleasure. And so. Oh, so many different ways. Right. So within orgasm. Can you talk a little bit about some getting rid of some of those blocks? for orgasm yeah. and then achieving different versions of orgasm as you talked about. Yeah. So I'm going to use different language and I don't point this out in any way to throw you under the bus, but I like to move away from looking at orgasm as something to achieve or to strive for. Okay. Instead, um, I look at orgasm as something that you invite mm. and that you are open and receptive to. So what happens a lot in sex is that people will race to the finish line of having an orgasm. And in doing so, they miss the experience of being in the moment preceding the ultimate climax, which can be in itself orgasmic. And that's where you open the door to these really ecstatic, expanded experiences. Um, but some things that, that I teach to help unblock, and all of us have blocks, there are physical blocks. So desensitization, numbness, physically in the vagina, in the genitals, that can be resensitized. You can, I mean, just like anything else you do, you can teach your body new ways of experiencing all sorts of things, including sexual pleasure. And then there are things like emotional blocks, um, subconscious shame that we picked up and that we carry, stories we tell ourselves about how we look or how we taste or how we smell or that we take too long to to orgasm there are so many subconscious stories that are below the surface whether we are self-pleasuring or with a partner and identifying those and finding ways to address those either on your own or in a really safe partnership 
can go a long way to opening new pathways of experiencing more pleasure. Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting, I think it's for people, they hear orgasm that they don't hear the, the way you've said it. Like, like I've, like I said, achieve, right. I've been socialized into saying that. Right. So right. your upbringing as a man has been very performance oriented, probably right. Is very performance driven. And that's your ingrained belief about your role in sex and women. It's, you know, to be sexual and to be like, to, to perform in a different way. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all very performative. Um, and I'm trying to move away from that. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it, again, it's, it's about like the lack of things you've been told or where you learn things and you gotta, it's so funny. It's like, you think something such as important as important as this is that you would have much better education about it. And you're almost pretty much left to your own devices when it comes to it. Yeah, I mean, it's that way for a lot of things in our culture. It's true, right? Financial, financial <laughs> education, not really up to par. Um, life skills, not really up to par. Sexuality, consent, pleasure, body autonomy, not a whole lot being done. It's at least when I was in school, sex ed, where I grew up was very focused on pregnancy prevention and STD oh, mitigation, yeah. like bordering on abstinence only. I right. was raised in South Carolina, but not quite that far. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm not That's joking. okay. <laughs> I mean, look how far I've come. All right, come on. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait a minute. Beautiful state. Yeah. South Carolina is a beautiful, wonderful I'm just state. messing with you. <laughs> I, I, I mean, they're there are things I love about my upbringing and there yeah, are things that I look back and I wish they'd been different, but you know, it all shapes you. It all shapes your, your path. And I'm sure part of the reason I do this work and am so passionate about it is because I didn't get the education I wish I had. Yeah. I think part of this kind of awakening and this with society is like, we're all kind of like, what? Like, this is really important. Why haven't we learned more about this? There's like, for me, I want a platform as many people as possible doing this type of work. But how do you get people over? Like you had mentioned like orgasms, like a squirting orgasm. Like when somebody hears that, let's say you talk to them about it, what's their reaction? And how do you kind of help move them towards these ideas of things to invite in their life that have always felt like overly sexualized or overly, let's say, um, porn based? uh, with yeah. that, how do you kind of start that kind of reprogramming with that, with people? A lot of people, people fall into two camps, people generally, in my experience, women who have experienced them themselves. And most of those, it was a surprise when it happened because they didn't know they existed or they didn't know that they were real, um, or women who didn't know they were real at all. Those are really the two primary groups if I had to divide them on the topic of squirting orgasms that they fall into. And I think a lot of our education for better or worse about sex and pleasure has come from porn because it's been the only accessible medium to learn about it. And I'm not anti-porn, but it is not a reliable source of pleasure education. So people come to me and work with me from all different walks of life 
And there are some women who work with me for whom even touching their genitals is something really uncomfortable and edgy. And then there are some women who find me and want to work with me because they are in their own sexual awakening. They feel their body waking up and they want to learn how to harness this power and experience these transcendent orgasms and they're ready to. So I don't push anyone to do anything that they're not ready to do. I hold space and witness and support them and meet them where they are. And if they're ready to go into discovering what their bodies are capable of and they have some blocks, we work with those and I hold them through it. But uh, I think a woman has to be curious and she has to be ready and she has to, to see that yes, it is possible for her body to do that too. Cause it is, it's possible for anyone with vulva to squirt anyone. Interesting. See, I didn't know that. I definitely did yeah, not know and that. Most people don't. Yeah. What's the mechanism I, behind that? Like, how does that forgive me for being really ignorant about this, but like, you, what's the mechanism no behind that? This is why I do what I do. Yeah. <laughs> no, but this is why I do what that. I do. It's yeah, education. Important conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking that question. So the mechanism behind it, if you want to get into the the technical aspect of it, is it's, it stems from the G-spot, which is part of the clitoral network. The clitoris that we think of as the clitoris is really, quite frankly, the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot that's beneath the proverbial surface. And the G-spot is one of those components of that same system. So when... Um, when someone is highly aroused, the G-spot will protrude from the vaginal wall and it has a different texture. It's a little bit bumpy. And by stimulating the G-spot consistently and with appropriate pressure um, and with the angle being right, you can elicit ejaculation in someone with a vulva. And sometimes this is like, or my definition of orgasm is very different than probably most people's. I consider orgasm to be either what I call a ding and done, which is, you know, you rise peak and then it drops off. It can wave and be extended. It can go on and on and on and on and on. It can be emotional. It can be energetic. Um, it's anything that is a release of either sexual energy, emotional energy. Um, there are a lot of different kinds in, in my vocabulary. So for this particular orgasm, it may be just physical ejaculation and there's no actual climax but it still feels amazing. Or it may be a climax also, or it could be several. There are different experiences of even that facet of a woman's sexual experience. And what, what is it? What is that fluid then? What is that? I mean, again, this is my education about this as well as the audience. Right. What is the actual fluid that happens during ejaculation for someone yeah, with a so vulva? It's, it's produced in, um, in the, glands um of the i think in the g-spot mm -hmm. and some people think that it's urine it's actually not urine the chemical makeup of it is different and in some women it's really liquidy and some women it's more viscous there can be different consistencies different amounts i don't know the exact breakdown of it or specifically how to answer that but i know that it's not pee <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do some people think that it is like, do they talk to you and they go, oh, it's, they think that it's urine? Oh, totally. Especially women who didn't know 
what squirting was, um, had never seen it, had never heard of it. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of women, the first time they do it, think that they lost bladder control, um, and are really embarrassed by it perhaps, but it's nothing to be, nothing to be embarrassed by. It's totally natural. Yeah. I, it's just interesting. I think a lot of like my own understanding, which is almost none. And which is why I ask these questions is what you see from like a porn based version of it. And it seems overly, how to say overly dramatized to me. And, but I'm like, what's the reality here? And I think that's what we're searching for is what's the reality of everyday people's ideas of orgasm and the different ways orgasm, uh, is a part of their life. I think we're trying to almost decoding orgasm. Yeah. Yeah. So there are different kinds of porn and I assume the porn that you're referring to is what we, what I yeah. think of as traditional mainstream porn where it's, you know, it's performative and it's for entertainment purposes, but some people, you can learn stuff from porn. I'm not saying you can't, but when you say that it's over dramatized, um, my interpretation of that is that when you see a clip of someone squirting, there's a lot and there's like a big show about it and a lot of sound. Yeah. Just like with anything, there can be different experiences in reality. And some of them might actually be like that without performance. And that might actually be what it looks like. If you're seeing it in a porn, it's probably um, exaggerated in some way, but that doesn't mean that those can't happen naturally and without performance and then to be really ecstatic and incredible and maybe even dramatic, but without intending for them to be, right. or maybe they're, maybe they're more subdued and that's yeah. okay too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's like a lot of things you had mentioned about kind of like, Oh, there's a lot of things we're not learning about as we're growing up financial and all these things. I think it's it's hard to backtrack when you feel older and you're like, why don't I know this? <laughs> you know, it's like you feel almost like something was stolen from you as you kind of come online to these ideas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel that way about some things also. There's, you know, being reaching the age you're out of college and you have a job and you don't know what you're supposed to do with your money. <laughs> your yeah, wealth. It's a big one. Yeah. You have to figure that out on your own. I also think I'm not suggesting that we should not teach young people how to take care of themselves financially in life, teach them that their bodies are capable of incredible pleasure and that it's safe for them to explore that with responsibility. But it's almost, I think, part of the journey of our generation to recognize that and to feel rage that we weren't taught these things and then to change it for generations that follow. So what are you seeing? So speaking of that, what is the future of talk about sex or what would it be your ideal kind of how we look at sex and how we talk about sex as we move forward in our society? I would love to see sex not used as a weapon of shame. I would love to see 
the elimination of messages in religion, in, uh, I mean, mostly religion, there are other places that your body is in some way shameful, or there's something wrong with your desire or your sexual orientation, or that masturbation is in some way dirty and not something that you ought to do. I would really love to see those conversations flipped and instead embracing the intrinsic sexual nature of humans because that's that's a core part of who we are and that's how it should be and I think that when we shut down any part of ourselves it's going to come out sideways and that by welcoming conversations about sex and pleasure we'll actually see people feeling more free to be themselves and more open and less less um, burdened by shame and i think that you know on a grand scale that would be my ideal i think it's going to happen actually and i think the religious think conversation is. is an interesting one because every person i've talked to that's within this lane and different aspects of it always brings that element of it because there has been a puritanical and continues to be kind of this puritanical outlook to sex. Even if you think about the uh, term missionary position, right? This is a very puritanical, um, judgmental, almost racial race aspect to it. And the actual meaning, it, <laughs> my wife and I were talking about this the other day, if people actually understood where that came from, they'd be like, oh, wait a minute, that's not right for that. Um, about the name missionary position yeah yeah you, are you open to sharing that because i'm curious to know yeah so it'd be like when um especially like when re religious institutions and stuff would go visit let's say people in third world countries or and they fit, found out that people were having sex in different ways that wasn't missionary position the missionaries would go and talk to people and say oh this is sacrilegious they're having sex in other ways beyond the man on top. And so that became what birthed the term missionary. Missionaries go, yeah. sex should be man on top. It's the patriarch aspect yeah. of it. Most people don't know that, wow. what that is. And that is that has been pervasive throughout pop culture and people learn about, but they don't know the actual origin of it. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't know the exact story. I, yeah. I mean, you can make an assumption, missionary position, something yeah. that was imposed and taught, but that's interesting. I, I think that sex has been used as a tool in, in religion, different types of religion as a means of control, because yeah. it is something so core to humanity. And if you can shame someone for being what they can't help, but being right. you're going to have a lot of power. You will have a lot of power and which and which for me, I try to have a very different like I talk to as many people in this space as possible, which probably seems very opposite for I, I've lifelong been um, spiritual, religious, but I come at it a very I believe in a very central tenets of loving God, loving other people and that mm -hmm. sex can be experienced in a variety of different ways. And we need to get this very puritanical, very rigid thing gone. Absolutely. We need to stop persecuting people who have different genders, who have different whatever. It's you love people. You should be loving people. And you don't love any. My wife said this. This is great. You should never love someone through the lens of their sin. 
of what oh. you think ever. You just love wow. people. You just love people. Never through the lens of the, everybody has made mistakes. All people make mistakes. No one is perfect. But sex is something that all humans should be should enjoy and love. It's I feel so natural for us. It and it, it burns me up that actually so many people are having so much less of it at this point, which yeah. is insane to me, especially young people who are like, sex is not a thing. I've had many researchers on here discussing it in the Gen Z, and they're just like not into it, man. They're, and on, as yeah. a large, as a generalization, obviously there's exceptions. So it makes your work the, very interesting. That energy is being channeled in other ways by that generation, though. It's There are other ways to use sexual energy and creative right. energy. And I think that the world needs a whole lot of creative overhaul right now. So <laughs> <laughs> a, lot is, a lot of things need to change. We can't just all have sex all the time, guys. That's <laughs> so, true. <laughs> so I think that maybe that generation may be channeling that energy in a way that other generations haven't, which doesn't mean that sex is less important it's still the same yeah. energy it's still you know cultivating the same powerful life force in us but that's that's interesting that's really fascinating yeah well don't you think like i'm talking like the work you do people probably come to you and they have all these different ideas of what things are in art and then you go and you tell them something that completely shatters what they've known and it's like wow that's like a lot of life, literally. <laughs> it's like a lot of life. Yeah. I mean, I'm continually learning and changing, and I don't ever paint myself to be an all-knowing <laughs> right. master of, of orgasms or sex. I know a lot, um, and I'm happy to teach what I do know and what I continue to know, but I don't see myself as a keeper of some secret wisdom. I just see myself as someone who discovered something that all of us yeah. What is your take on how the message of sex is starting to be put out in today's society? Are there, and like, so like in my business and fitness, the message and the messenger is often very messy. And I feel like we need better messengers of fitness and wellness and better messages that speak to more people. How do you feel that is in what you're doing? How are them? Who are the messengers what are the messages and are they actually connecting with people in the way that you think would be positive? I see a lot of people doing really impactful work and in the media I follow, I mean, I, I keep a finger on the pulse of world events, but as far as media that I allow to permeate my field, I want it to be something that can benefit me in some way that is inspiring that is factual that doesn't drain me but enlivens me so I surround myself with content that enhances my life I don't really know what's out there that depletes people and diminishes their lives because I just don't I just don't access it I just don't desire it so I'm not sure that I can answer that but I can say that what I have seen um, on social media and in the space that I'm working in is a lot of inspiring, a lot of inspiring messages. A lot of people, whether they are teaching this or whether they are just exploring it and learning it, are recognizing that their programming may have been lying to them. 
and that there are things they can do to reprogram it and to live more fulfilling lives. And that's really inspiring me to see those messages. So what's the role you think of social media that you've seen in your experience uh, that has been positive? And maybe I know that you say you're not exposing to some of these things, but has there been any negative aspects to that you've seen in social media and the portrayal or communication of sex to people? I see things every once in a while. Um, this one reel that I saw yesterday that or was it a couple of days ago? What's the time that really shocked me because it was suggesting that women should essentially just allow a man to use their body for his pleasure and, you know, just get it over with um, things like that. I don't see very often, but when I do, it's very jarring. I, I follow a lot of content creators and thought leaders in this space whose work I respect. And that's really the only people I follow are people who I respect, admire, and who I desire learning from and being associated with. But it, we all make mistakes. There are going to be things that I put out that may in some way harm someone um, or offend someone. And it's just, it's part of being human. So I don't look at this example of this reel and say, oh my gosh, this woman's not qualified to do the work she does. Don't trust her. But I, when I see things from people I otherwise respect that miss the mark, instead of condemning them or thinking, oh my gosh, what a terrible thing. I can't believe this person did that. I, in my experience, remember, you know, I can choose whether I believe that information, whether it resonates for me or I can leave it. And if it doesn't resonate for me, I can leave it. And also here's someone being fully human, showing up, making mistakes, you know, not getting it right all the time. And I allow it to give me permission to keep being messy and showing up and sometimes mess things up. Yeah. You mentioned qualification. I'm curious about this. How do you determine qualification in this area or what? I mean, I, I have no knowledge about this disclaimer. I'm curious how you see qualification in this area. Qualification to me is, um, I used to care a lot about it. I am a trained speech language pathologist. I'm accredited. I'm certified. I've done all my qualification work to be licensed and official in that capacity. In this capacity, I have no credentials that would suggest I am quote unquote qualified to teach this. And I've come to see that as sort of a superpower because I'm not credentialed and I know what I know. That also means that anyone else from anywhere can know what I know and can teach their body to do the things that I know I can teach their body to do. And they don't need to have studied Tantra for decades. They don't need to have a background in sex therapy. They don't need to have quote unquote credentials. They have this capacity as their birthright. And because I don't have credentials, I actually see that as a benefit because I'm one of them and I'm teaching it because I know it. And because I know that I can teach them without needing to do anything like jumping through hoops 
Yeah. Not to disqualify anyone who's a sex <laughs> love therapists, love <laughs> mental health, love all of those things. And there's room for other things. You don't have to be credentialed to make an impact. Now, is that ever come up with, um, do you, do you think the consumer is concerned about that at all or much? I, I People who find me don't care Yeah. whether I've gone to get a master's in sex therapy. My teachers whom have changed my life are not quote unquote credentialed. Um, if you look back on people who've been really impactful in changing the world, they didn't have credentials and yet they made enormous impacts in the world. I think that people care more about how you can change their lives than they care about how you learned the things that will help them change their lives. It's, it's very interesting. I, I love that you said that it's, it's part of knowing different different professions, different things that people are doing. That qualification is all is a large thing in my field, but I feel like it's a discussion because consumers often don't look that hard in the qualifications from what I've seen in a lot of things. I think they want I relatability. I think the it's number also, one. it's something that coaches like me have to stay in integrity on. I don't work with everyone. And if a client comes to me and they need to also they need to be seeing a sex therapist or a somatic therapist or you know a qualified licensed counselor, I will be the first one to say, hey, this is what I can do and this is what I can't, and here's what I would recommend. I think it would be out of integrity and really unethical for me to operate in spaces that I'm really not qualified to operate right. in. So I don't do it. And I think that it's important for coaches to remember that and to stay in their lane. Like my lane, I can teach you how to have deeper safety in your relationships, how to experience life-changing transcendent orgasms, how to feel fully alive and expressed as who you authentically are. And if you need counseling, I'm not going to pretend that I can do that. Right. Right. Most definitely. It's a... Uh... It's an interesting topic of discussion, I think, because there's lots of different, from what I've seen, different lanes within this area. Like, do you incorporate, let's say, sex-based research into your work at all, or is that not an area you discuss so much? I'm interested in research. There's really nothing about my work that would that sex-based research would lend itself to. Um, I want to teach people how to trust their own bodies and their own experiences and not rely on being told what's possible for them to experience. Cause the mm. truth is like some of the things that I know are possible, I wasn't told are possible. Right. And the same is true for anyone else. Your body has capacity to experience things that may, there may not be research on. And just because there's not research doesn't mean it's impossible. That's part of the magic of living in this superpower body of yours. Um, so I don't rely on research to tell me what's possible because I know that it's incomplete. Right. It's, it's certainly incomplete. I mean, in this area, it's ex extremely incomplete, <laughs> especially. It's important. Yeah. The research is important and it has a of place. Course. But does it have a place in my work particularly? Not yeah. really. My work is more intuitive and more experiential yeah. um, and spiritual. So I don't rely on it, but I'm glad it's being done. 
tell me about the spiritual aspect of the work that you do. I, I think it's it's interesting how much sex and spirituality have become bonded and, and a lot of things in wellness in general. How has that worked in your, how do you see that within what you're doing? So I think that when a woman, when anyone, but in my clients I've worked with particularly on these experiences of transcendent orgasm, when a woman realizes what her body has capacity to experience and she feels into how powerful that is to have the ability to do these things, when she starts learning how to experience pleasure in her body and be receptive and open to it, she becomes really magnetic and she feels and exudes this radiance in the world. And it changes how she moves about in her life. It changes how people interact with her. Um, I have had clients message me telling me that like, they were approached by like eight men in a day and like just magnetism, Yeah, so much magnetism and spirituality, sexuality. It's all so intertwined. I don't fully understand it to be perfectly honest, but I do know that when someone feels empowered and enlivened and safe and fully expressed as their sexual selves, they feel more alive and expressed and magnetic in all aspects of their life and more true to who they are authentically. I, I like, you know what I like? I like that you say, I'm not sure. I don't know on certain yeah, things. There's a lot I don't that know. is not often said by enough people. I'm just not sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. I think I don't know. And I, I, I trust people who admit when they don't know things. Yes. And I myself don't, I'm not going to pretend to know everything because yeah. that would be, that would be performing. That <laughs> would be performing. performing. <laughs> <laughs> and also it would be disingenuous. It would be me perpetuating the myth that we need to uphold the standard of perfectionism. And it's not safe to not know. And it's totally safe to not know. It's totally safe to to recognize limitations and to make mistakes. And I don't have all the information. Love that. Love that. Whitney, I appreciate you coming on with me. And uh, it's been such a pleasure. Yeah. Explaining what you know and don't know. It's an important conversation just on a high level uh, yeah. to have and explaining some of the basic concepts related to orgasm, things of that nature. So please tell everyone how they can connect with you and uh, sure. increase their pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to support you. I work one-on-one -on -one with clients and with couples. I also have a group program. My signature program is open for registration now, and we start in February. It's called School of Sexual Sorcery. It's a six-month deep dive for women into all of these transcendent orgasms, how to experience incredible pleasure, um, how to build deep safety in your relationships, and how to live in magnetic radiance and that information along with information about me is available on my website which is www.pleasuresorcery.com my instagram which i'm pretty active on is at embodied underscore mama e-m-b-o-d-i-e-d -E underscore m-a-m-a and then the work i referenced earlier for trans women as a voice therapist and expression coach that's over at www.havenspeech h-a-v-e-n-s-p-e-e-c-h.com and at haven speech on instagram 
Thank you, Whitney. I appreciate your time. Thank you're you're, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Me. I've so enjoyed this.